0: welcome to building a hundred million pound business in public four years ago i was having lunch with my friend logan when we half joked about racing to a hundred million and it's always stayed in my head what does it take to build a hundred million pound business on this podcast i ask my network and speak to vcs founders dni specialists marketeers and more to share their top tips some have made it some are on the way and all have a story to tell Welcome to today's podcast. I'm delighted to be chatting to Nick Baker. Um, Nick co founded Alpha Financial Market Consulting, now the world's leading asset and wealth management consulting firm. Uh, he started it in 2004 and aimlessed it in 2017 with private equity ownership along the way. He's now a non-exec advisor and angel investor.
1: Welcome, Nick. Thank you very much.
0: So perhaps you could start by giving people a bit more background into Alpha.
1: Sure. Um, So, I mean, worth just a a little bit of background to myself. So, I've been a management consultant all all my life. I started my career at Accenture and, yeah, co-founded Alpha um, in the early 2000s as a company specialised on the asset and wealth management space. Um, We grew that um, from our start in the U.K., Internationally, originally into Europe and then kind of further afield into the US and Asia um, and grew it with a great team over many years. um, Went through a couple of private equity rounds, one in 2013 and then a secondary um, private equity transaction in, in 2016. And over that time kind of grew it into what is now, as you said, the world's leading consultancy firm in the space. And we uh, successfully floated that on AIM in October 2017, which was uh, a great kind of journey. And actually, since then, um, whilst I Left the company uh, two years ago now, which uh, seems in one sense like last week and the other about ten years ago. Um, you know, the company has continued to go from strength strength to strength, and it's probably over doubled in its market cap since we floated in seventeen. So uh, that's been a you know great great journey. Um, and then since I left two years ago, as you said, I've I've started uh, working as a non-exec, an advisor for a range of businesses, um, you know, really great group of businesses that I advise now. I would probably broadly put them in the kind of fintech space, although, you know, they're kind of slightly broad, broader than that. Um, and alongside that, I've managed to um, to invest in a number of exciting firms that span all sorts of things, way outside of my kind of normal expertise, but, you know, being a- able to back things that I really believe in. Um, so that's mm-hmm. that's been a really kind of interesting journey for me as well. Well, seen it. This is exactly why I knew
0: you'd be the perfect guest for this because, yeah. like, a you've got past the hundred million, I, I think, and b you've also got sort of relevant experience both at the sort of startup selling and then coming back and doing it again. So, how how, how did it feel going getting to hundred million?
1: Well, it's an it, it, interesting one because in one sense we kind of never quite did precisely get to a hundred million. It's kind of one of those. Uh, conundrums in a way of of being a privately owned firm until obviously we we went public on aim. But we were valued in our last private equity round at around the 75, 80 million sterling mark. Um, and then you're not valued again until another thing occurs. And that that next thing that occurred was when we floated on AIM and we floated with a market cap of 160. So um, there was never a day when I could go, ah, we've reached 100 million because we went from essentially 80 to 160. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tough problem to have. Indeed. How did that feel?
0: I mean, could, when you when you very first started, did you have any expect? Did, did you have a number in your head? Was it ever something you thought about?
1: Um, I, I, I'd be lying if I say it wasn't something I ever thought about. Um, but equally, I don't think we had a, a firm goal in our minds. To be honest with you, when we founded the firm. It was as much around trying to do the work that we really wanted to do. Um, we thought it was a good space to be working in. Um, we thought other people weren't doing it very well. Um, and therefore we thought it would be a, you know, a good, a good place to work and a good good thing, thing to do. But it was never really with a kind of goal in mind in terms of become X or float at Y, or whatever it was. Um, and mm. it was probably only a few years in, actually, that we suddenly went, you know, you know what, we're, we're actually, we've got something really really good here, something that we can scale and, and you know, really make very successful.
0: Mm. So start, starting off with that idea of like, just doing something you enjoy and doing something you're really good at, rather than going, this is a number we're after, how, how do we get it?
1: Yes, indeed. Absolutely right.
0: Because it's interesting. One my guest uh, before, Brandon, he was talking about having the, your end PNL in mind, um, and how how you because that really informs quite a few decisions. But I suppose right. he's on his second business, so he's coming into that with with more clarity. Mm. Um, did Did you ever shift to that? Did you ever get that sort of sense of this is
1: what our end PNL might look like? Certainly, with some of the businesses that I advise, I think I think when you're once you're on the journey, is actually quite important to have clear goals in mind, and also, you know, some of the people I advise. One of the reasons I'm there is to help them think through exit routes, and then it's really important important to have a view about um, where do you want to be in a certain number of years time. What do you need to look like to make you attractive to someone in X years years time? Um, so I think that absolutely comes a point where that is absolutely right. And the other one, obviously, is if you're a startup where you're actually raising money then you need to be able to paint that picture to an investor. It's very hard to go to to an investor and go, I've got a great idea, but I don't really know where it's going to go, but just kind of give me some money. However, artificial that kind of first business plan is, where you go, we're going to own the world in five years' time, Um, at least, you know, it's kind of part of the, the dance, right? Whereas... When we started Alpha, it was much more of a case we you know we didn't need to raise money. Consulting makes money from day one if you do it right, um, and um, so we didn't need to raise money. And it was really around doing something that, that we enjoyed and you know thought we'd be good at. Um, and it mm. wasn't until a few years down the line when we were again when we were bringing on more people. And you've got to be able to paint your vision to the to the talent that you're bringing on as well again it's difficult to persuade talent to come on board if you go well yeah, we'll do a bit of this do a bit of that we'll see where where, where it goes <laughs> um yeah so they want to be to be, be inspired as well right
0: well i suppose that with a consulting business you are your people so keeping them on the journey because how, how many how many people is alpha now
1: i will get this wrong so my um ex you know Colleagues will shoot me, but um, my guess is around the four hundred and fifty to five hundred consultants kind of mark. And um, we, we were about three hundred to three hundred fifty um, uh, at the kind of time that I, I left. So mm. that's a, that's a lot of people to take on the journey. Yes, it is. <laughs>
0: um, and so, what would so if I take to the, the top tip for so what? What's if you? How's time again? What's the one thing you would say or to do or not to do to reach? 100 million
1: well one of the things that people talk a lot about is equity and there are i would there's a whole kind of spectrum here of of what you know what people say Um, and at one end of the spectrum you've got people who go hoard your equity like there's no tomorrow don't give anyway. you know Mm -hmm. hold hold, 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 hold it in and there's and there's the other end of the spectrum that says obviously within reason you know give it out right you, you know you'd much rather be a 10 percent shareholder in a you know 50 million business than a 100 shareholder of a 1 million you know business um i've said i i much more come come at it from that end of the spectrum and my my tip you know particularly again you know, consulting is a very people-based business is um you know we from very early on decided it was really key that for us to bring on the best talent in the market to to keep them to motivate them they had to have a state a stake in the game Um, and we actually did that in two ways one was you know real equity or options at various times as the tax rules changed but the other was actually we gave them a profit share as well so it wasn't a performance-based bonus um because we thought we were hiring brilliant people across the board so how, how, how do you say to a great team, well, you're really, really good and you're just really good? So, you know, kind of performance-based bonuses we didn't really believe in. So having that kind of profit-share business um, model allowed people to really own and share, but then the real equity as well. And then the equity, obviously, the challenge with equity is it's only valuable on transaction points, and it was, you know, nine years from founding to when we had our first liquidity point, which was our first private equity deal. Um, and I remember very clearly, you know, up, you know, even six months before that first deal, because obviously no, no one knew, quite senior people turning around to me and going, these options, this equity is it's all very well, but it's not really worth anything, is it? It's a bit of paper. I said, well, yes and no, but it's really va- valuable because when we did, do something, this is going to be worth a lot of money. Um, and, you know, it was really nice to be able to see the reaction in our team when when these bits of paper, um, you know, suddenly became worth a lot of money to them. Um, so I think that I'm absolutely a believer in reward the team. Again, you've got to be sensible. You want to give it all out and, you know, be done. So you've got to hold it back and allow for it, but we absolutely gave every single employee an equity stake. Did you find then that once you'd had
0: that first event internally, equity th- those options just
1: th- there was never doubt again? Like exactly. Mm. So that I think so. I think that that kind of first moment of realization that these bits of paper are actually going to be worth something is a very powerful one um and yes from that moment on people were a lot more focused on on this <laughs> so so if you had
0: your time again then would you have done a could you have done a smaller event some somewhere on that journey to sort crystallize that
1: realization earlier yeah maybe um obviously it you've got to think through what that might be um you know and may you know again that there may be kind of tax complications of this but I suppose if you've built up enough cash then you could almost do a share buyback type type event um to almost prove some value there. Um but I you know I, I I'm not sure about that. I, I think I think the key to me is that you do um is that you do reward people with equity and that you have a strong story about mm. Why this is going to be valuable, and also have quite strict rules, and they they can sound quite draconian, but is a sense of you only keep your you know you'll only get value for your shares if you are an employee on the day that the bell goes, and I can't tell you the day the bell's going to go. <laughs> we can have a plan, nothing else, but um, but that becomes quite a strong kind of retention thing, right? Because. Mm. You know, if you just happen to be the unlucky one who resigned a month before a big payout, well, that's life. Um, mm. So I think, um, so I think that having people holding equity, having a strong story, having strong vision, being able to explain to them that these will have value um, and why, then I think that's actually good enough. You don't need to have manufactured an early event to kind of prove it. Yeah. So
0: if fundamentally what you're doing is good enough and your story is good enough, you don't need to fake it.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, that's a that's a very good uh, shortened way of saying it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then you, you mentioned that you don't believe in individual performance bonuses. I imagine a lot of industries that, particularly in the financial sector, that are listening to that and going, that's madness. But actually that does seem to be, there's a trend towards this. What's What's the... How has it practically worked for you?
1: And I think, yeah, if, if, I think you've got to have to temper what I said with the business that we had, right? And um, so, what I'm, what I, I, in a consulting business, a high, you know high, high end, high caliber consulting business, I absolutely believe what I just said, which is you, you, you don't want to pick very talented people apart um, when they're all. Great. Um, I think there are situations in which performance bonuses make sense, um, particularly more kind of sales type jobs. It's, you know, it's kind of standard practice. Right. So, I, I yeah, I, I think in in kind of professional services type situations where it's very team based as well. Um, I think that, um, yeah, I think that performance bonuses can be quite um, divisive is mm. so it actually interesting I mean, there are let's say
0: sales organizations and recruitment companies that that still just do team bonuses i mean they're not in the majority mm. but they have been successful and they have grown which slightly goes against this narrative of sales people have to have mm. individual bonuses
1: and again i, I i'm I, i'm not sure i would paint myself as an expert on how to remunerate you know, out-and-out out salespeople. Um, so I, you know, I could argue it kind of the either way. I think perhaps, perhaps as you just have now. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, if I, if I take back to, to what we were talking about then, yeah. in terms of, it must be very interesting for you to have, have grown this big business, which got to like, three, it was currently think, about 350 million. And now you're going back to earlier stage businesses and advising them and investing in them and seeing them grow. How's that
1: been? been very interesting um, and it's slightly kind of turned back the clock for me and kind of reignited thoughts and emotions that I had many many years ago um, and hopefully I've been able to add quite a lot of colour and advice from the experiences that I've had and um, so I, I hope it's been kind of useful to them but it's been a very interesting journey from for me and Obviously, no two businesses are the same, and one of the things I enjoy is actually I'm getting involved in businesses that you know I'm, I'm I'm not the deep expert on the thing that they actually do, right? But I think that's uh, you know I think that's fine. I think that there is a lot of business practice and how you grow things that is irrespective of the actual underlying nature of what the kind of business is. But I'm you know I'm I'm coming across the same sorts of things again about you know clarity of vision one, one of my pet things as people who know me well is you know I, i'm I, i'm quite c- commercial um one of the things i brought to alpha and was indeed my role for kind of many years and what i what i what i instill in the companies that I advise is a commerciality is you've got to, you know, ultimately these businesses are there to make money um, alongside all the great things that that, that they do. And, and we need to have a commercial eye on things and actually make sure that at the end of the day, we, we are making money from the things that we do. Um, and that doesn't belittle, for example, the importance of purpose in business because I'm a, I, I'm a strong believer in that too, but you have to be, making money in order to have the purpose because if you go out of business then the business hasn't got any purpose right <laughs> so that you know these these things kind of have to go hand in hand and so so yes yeah, something that i work quite a lot with the business I advise on is is actually making sure that we are charging a fair amount of money for the things that we're doing um, and that and that propels the whole business it's good for the employees it's good for the company it's good for the shareholders and it but it helps drive the business purpose as well. Mm, that's fascinating. So so
0: that implies that quite a few businesses aren't charging commercially or fairly for their business for their for their services.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say not obviously never across the board or, or else mm. they wouldn't be in business still, right? Um, but it's about finding those areas where maybe you're not and it's not always obvious, right? It's not easy sometimes to work out what your real costs are or what the drain on the business is of doing certain things. Or or there's also kind of emotional baggage of, well, we've always provided service X, Mm. but why why do we still need to? You know, this kind of – so I think there's the kind of constant evolution and kind of questioning about actually what do your clients want and value – um, and therefore, what are we providing to them? And are we charging them the right amount of money for it? And so it's, you know, kind of sounds straightforward on the face of things. Uh, but I think that really kind of kind of forensic eye about what you're doing and why and trying to leave the emotional baggage behind actually is quite key. Mm.
0: So, it's not, so it's not just about what you're charging. It's also should you be doing it in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. Do, do, you, do you find that sort of early stage businesses do undercharge? for products is, is there
1: something around confidence is there I think there is absolutely a risk um, and it's not necessarily about being a new business it may be a new service or a new product or but this slight sense of oh, it's new and I'm not sure anyone will really value it so let's 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 give it to them you know a nice kind of discount but I, I think there is a, an an importance about having the confidence in the sense that if you've built the right thing, the right product, the right service that people value, then they'll pay for it. If you have got the right thing but have aren't delivering it right, then don't deliver it yet. <laughs> get, get, get it right. Right. There's no. There's, there's no point in saying, "Well, we've got this great thing, um, but because we're not doing it quite right, we'll we'll charge you kind of fifty percent." Well, all that does is it is it exposes your client to a, to a bad thing right um so you kind of better off to get it the 80 percent and then charge them the right the right amount um so i think that that's kind of kind of key um and so so i think it is i, I think it is a kind of new product new business trap um mm. and there is something you know I, I, I it's obviously an oft often talked about thing but i, I think there is there is definitely something to the reassuringly expensive mantra, <clears throat> um, which is not not that you should overcharge for things, you know, there, there there is a there is a value for things, but I think that people will pay for good quality things that they really want.
0: Mm. It's it sounds simple when you say it, and I, t- and I and I and I totally buy it, but I've definitely seen what you said in t- and even done it myself. Where mm-hmm. you feel like it's a new product or a new service, and you're like, oh, "Can I?" And you fall into that trap of like pricing on costs rather than value. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. h- how would you how would you change someone's mindset then? So, you go into one of the companies you're advising, and they're and they're and they're sitting there with a suite of products and services they're really happy with, and they're probably charging half what they should for. How does that conversation go?
1: Um, I think you, you 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 get the full the full range of you know, some kind of eye-opening of like, oh, wow, we could actually charge more for this. Some kind of resistance of, well, I've always charged people this. No one will pay more than X, you know. So the, I, I think you, you, do, you do kind of get the whole gamut. And I think what I try to do is to look at other examples of things and go, well, this is what I managed to do here. I know it's not exactly the same thing, but can you see where I'm going? Or think mm. think through the kind of value lens of a client um, you know you know you're kind of bringing something to them that changes the world and you know you're getting them to pay you less than a the one day of you know someone that they hire to do you know quite straightforward work you know it's kind of they just kind of you've got to view it through kind of different lenses and go actually you know what this is worth so, so much more than this. And I think that that, that 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 kind of point that you said is we're all anchored in costs. And cost is obviously an important lens, but I think trying to change that mindset to a kind of value mindset um, can be very eye, eye-opening.
0: Mm. But I imagine quite tricky at times. Like, if you, if you, particularly if you're emotionally wedded to a product. Yeah. So that's the pricing. Let's say it's a product. Let's say someone's been doing a product for or a service for five years, and you turn around and go, actually, well, let's look at this. How how, how does that play out? How would would you approach that? So just drilling down into a product or service and going, should we be doing this?
1: I think there are a few lenses on that one, right? So one clearly is a financial one that just says, okay, let's, let's really actually think through what our cost of delivery is here, right? So are we actually making money from this thing? Another lens is it's almost a kind of, what do you want to be famous for, right? Mm. So lots of companies have multiple services and product lines, and it's actually quite hard. And it, it, you, you can slightly kind of boil the, the ocean trying to work out the underlying financials because it's kind of, well, if I turn it off, actually how much cost do I save? You know, there's, there's all the kind of the last person out turns the lights off kind of accounting pr- problems. But I think a, a view of, well, what do we want to be f- famous for so let's say i've got five service lines and one of them is very borderline whether i'm making money on it or not but there's just a lot of noise about around it it's what we're known for maybe in the market it's what people what all our blogs are on but actually it's a thing we least want to be attached to our name it's not it's not that we are embarrassed by anything like that it's more that but it's just we'd so much rather than talk about this product over here that is new and shiny and where we think the future is than this kind of legacy thing that we're not sure we're making money on and has all the noise around it. And those are some of the hard situations because that's that's when it gets quite kind of emotional around, Mm. well, but but we've always been doing that. And that's what people talk about us about. But it's almost, that's precisely the the reason why we shouldn't be doing it. (laughs) Mm. It's
0: it's always taking out the oxygen from the thing you should be talking about. Yeah. Exactly. Hmm. Well, no, that has been fascinating. Like, I've, I'm taking away like reassuringly expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Give equity out to, to to more people than you think, and 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 really be clear on your story. Start with something you love, but be clear on your story because that's going to help with everything. Um, and then also, like, are you doing things you shouldn't? Yeah. Or might or might not need to be doing. So. Um, That was brilliant. Thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thanks, James. It's been great to talk as always.
0: Thanks for listening today. And hopefully you've taken away one thing to think about or try. Let me know in the comments if there's something you'd like us to explore in future episodes, or just reach out on LinkedIn or podcast at district4.io. Let's keep learning and building great companies together.